Locked On Dolphins, hosted by Travis Wingfield. Your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. I'm in town to play the Dolphins, you dumbass. What's up, Dolphins fans, and welcome into the Thursday, May the 9th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, what are realistic expectations this season for Miami? What would constitute a good season? We'll discuss that. Plus, we'll get you all set for rookie minicamps kicking off today at 2 p.m. Eastern and going through the weekend. Seven things to watch from the youngsters. And we'll finish up by taking a trip around the AFC East. But first, before any of that, I kindly invite each and every one of you to please subscribe to the podcast on the new Himalaya Podcast app or Apple Podcasts or however you get your podcasts. Go ahead and leave us a rating, leave us a review. Give me a follow on Twitter, the number one follow on Dolphins Twitter as voted by Dolphins Twitter. It's at Wingfield NFL. The show is at Locked On Fins. And check out LockedOnDolphins.com, my piece looking at the seven things to watch for during rookie minicamp is up there live right now. And Sunday night, we'll go ahead and release four editions of the Josh Rosen charting project. So keep an eye for all that. And of course, the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts like the Locked On Heat podcast and Locked On NFL podcast for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Let's go ahead and jump right in. That's another Miami Dolphins. And first down on today's Locked On Dolphins podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, is brought to you by ZipRecruiter, the smarter way to hire. And with rookie mini camps officially underway, depending on when you listen to this podcast, it marks one of like five different days that we will proclaim the beginning of the football season. It's going to happen at OTAs. It's going to happen at training camp, preseason, and finally for real, September the 8th against the Baltimore Ravens. And since expectations are pretty low, we can kind of remove the old benchmarks for what would constitute a successful season for the Dolphins. And I subscribe to the Scott Van Pelt idea that you can have a successful season that doesn't end in hoisting hardware. The 2016 season, for instance, that was successful for Miami, just as 2008 was under Tony Sperano and the Wildcat year. But I don't think anyone really expects playoffs. And this segment was inspired or really rather written by my buddy Noah, fellow Pacific Northwest Noah. He is at Noah's a dork on Twitter. Check out his timeline for some good Dolphins and Mariners tweets alike. And he posed to me this question. How are we as fans supposed to determine a successful season this year? What are some of the non-win-loss areas that show the coaches are doing things the right way? Is it penalties, mental errors? Maybe this could be a deeper dive for a slower time in the offseason or an article, and it will be that a deeper dive sometime this summer. But Noah, my friend, we are in a slow period right now in the middle of May. It's not as bad as the dog days of June and July, but this is definitely one of the slower periods on the NFL calendar. So let's talk about it. First, I don't think Miami's results are going to be the determining factor in what is a successful season this year or even just a solid season. Adam Gaze actually got ridiculed for this last year when he said to Salguero and Oppressor, and of course, Salguero wasn't capable of understanding the thought process here, but he said, quote, you guys are results-based, end quote. And it was naturally met with negative feedback from everyone involved in the room that day, but he's right. It's much more about the day in and day out, thanks for that, Tannehill, 
grind than it is what you see on Sundays. I mean, these guys are all putting in 60, 70, 80 hour weeks and the coaches are probably putting in 100 hour weeks and we're just judging them on the three hours they play every single Sunday. I mean, I get it. I get that wins and losses are ultimately the only thing that matters in a bottom line business like the NFL or sports in general, but good process will typically work itself out around to playing into your favor over the long haul, opposed to making bad decisions and getting lucky results in the end, kind of like Miami did last season with some very fluky wins. And let's be honest, go back to 2016, that year was propped up on some fluky wins with poor process that led to good results. I always refer to it in baseball when a manager puts together a stupid or a baffling lineup and the Mariners used to do this all the time going righty, lefty or whatever it was and platooning certain guys that were hot. I just never agreed with that. Play your best guys in those positions or they don't lift an inferior hitter in a huge key spot of the game like leaving in your utility outfielder who's batting 175 on the year while you have one of your best sluggers on the bench because you're in a National League park. I'll never understand that. So Miami needs to first develop a quality process under Coach Flores. These guys need to buy in to what Coach Flores is saying and work the way Coach Flores wants them to work. And from that is their demonstrable growth throughout the season. I hope this team is much better in December than it is in September, the reverse gaze, if you will. I'm looking at my whiteboard right now where I classify players based on expectations for them, my own expectations for them this season, and we have three blue chip players. You've heard me talk about it. Xavier Howard and Laramie Tunzel, I think, are inarguable, and I think Minka Fitzpatrick jumps into that group this year. Then there are nine plus starters on top of the three blue chippers. Guys that are better than average at their position across the league. I have Drake Wilson. Christian Wilkins is in there already. I don't care what you say. That guy can play some ball. Devon Godshaw, Taylor McMillan, Jerome Baker, Bobby McCain, and Rashad Jones. And frankly, if Jones could stay healthy for a full season, he'd probably be in the blue chip category still, even though I think his play has fallen off a little bit, but that's neither here nor there. I want to see guys from that group, the plus starter group, move into the blue chip category. And I want to see guys from my potential category, which is loaded with names, jump into that plus starter territory. Guys like Jakeem Grant, Michael Dieter, one of the four cornerbacks that seems to get mentioned on this podcast every single day. Miami needs to cultivate more of their own in-house talent and turn them into productive players and serious contributors come the fall. And the best thing they could do is to do that at the premium positions, positions that cost big time money in free agency to acquire, like the offensive line where you are priced out almost every single year unless you want to make Trent Brown the highest paid tackle in football or at cornerback. They need players at those spots to really, really step up this year. Players that are going to play 100% of your snaps. I know the defensive line is a bit of a mess right now, depending on how you look at it, but you can typically go after more scheme fits and rotational types there to round out the group. And I put Tank Carradine in that category if he can stay healthy, which is a massive if, but that guy's a good scheme fit and he can play in this defense. He can give you 40 to 50% of the snaps. Again, if he's healthy, those guys exist. But Miami needs someone to assert themselves in the secondary and on the offensive line. So that 
and demonstrable growth in the basics, hitting layups for the quarterback, executing your basic blocks on the offensive line and picking up stunts and games, showing smart football, hitting your run fits on defense, and just executing the solid fundamentals. Get your footwork right. Correctly hit your inside hand jam if you're a cornerback. Tackle, wrap up, do those things well. That's the best way you can tell this team is well coached and they are improving upon previous teams under Adam Gase and even before that. And frankly, you won't see that stuff unless you're a pretty trained eye in this industry and you know what you're looking for. I'm not calling people out. It just takes some time to develop the eye to look for certain things in a football field. And thank- thankfully, I've spent a lot of time looking at tape the last three years, and I can typically tell you the answers to those questions I posed, and that's what I'm going to do all season long. All right, we're going to come back and preview rookie minicamp, but first, this. Miami signed some 17 undrafted free agents right after the draft on Saturday, and imagine how challenging that was for the coaching staff, the scouting staff, to get all that put together, and if you hire in your industry, you know how difficult that can be to find qualified candidates and how long it takes to sort through resumes and highlight the right candidates, but there's one place you can go where hiring is simple, fast, and smart. A place where growing businesses connect to qualified candidates every single day. That place is ZipRecruiter.com slash locked on. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards, but they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invite them to apply to your job. As the applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates so you never miss a great match And ZipRecruiter is so effective that 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. And right now, my listeners of Locked On Dolphins podcast can try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash locked on. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N. ZipRecruiter.com slash locked on. It's ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. felt kind of weird not having any content up on LockedOnDolphins.com on Wednesday, but we have some for you today written by yours truly. Of course, we did have Jason Harina's piece up there on Wednesday, but for myself, I feel like I've published a piece every day now going back to the couple of weeks before the draft even. It's such something I do every day. It's therapeutic. It teaches me. And of course, I think we all learn something when we can publish content on the site about this football team. And today we have up there the seven things to watch at Miami Dolphins Rookie Minicamp, which kicks off today at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. out here in the West. And I'm going to have you guys covered on everything that happens at minicamp from the post-practice pressers, probably going to be scouring other beat writers as timelines since they're going to be at practice. I will not, obviously, being a West Coast or Pacific Northwest coverage journalist for you guys out here up in the PNW, but we'll have you covered on LockedOnDolphins.com as well as on the podcast on Friday. Let's go ahead and jump into these seven things I want to see from the Dolphins this weekend at Rookie Minicamp. I think it's roughly like 21, 25 players, something to that effect. There are 21 rookies that are rostered on the team, but I'm not sure how many guys they have 
that are tryout players like Malik Rozier, for instance, the University of Miami quarterback that's going to be at camp at Davie this weekend. But number one is Christian Wilkins' dominance from the word go. I want to see Christian Wilkins or hear about Christian Wilkins whooping the crap out of whoever they put in front of him. Because if you go back to the 360 episode on Christian Wilkins from the night of the draft, Thursday night on April 25th, you heard the story about freshman or about him showing up to his high school team as a freshman and beating the crap out of the two-time captain all-league center and making him cry. I want Wilkins to make some people cry because he's going to be going up against a bunch of undrafted guys in the middle, and those are guys that he needs to beat, guys that he routinely beat at Clemson, play in and play out. He is so integral to this defense, not just this year, but going forward, and I want to see him have that infectious mentality on the rest of the defense and get these rookies playing up to his level and have him be the one that sets the example. So Christian Wilkins, go out there and dominate from the first second you step on the practice field. And speaking of those UDFA offense of linemen that's number two the quick development of those guys because all these undrafted free agents that were brought to Miami they couldn't have gone to a better spot because this team this group of offensive linemen it's wide open not just for roster spots but for starting spots if any of the four between Shaq Calhoun Kirk Barron my personal favorite Aaron Montiero or Ryan Anderson can hold their own against Wilkins then they'll have an opportunity to really get themselves more reps and OTAs, and you've got to stack up good performances on good performances if you're a UDFA, which is roughly a 3% chance to make the roster. So you have to do well here. you got to do well at OTAs, and you got to have a great camp and a great preseason. That's how it works out. And so it all starts with step number one, going up against Christian Wilkins this weekend. And again, these guys have a chance to earn roster spots because the people in front of them, the developmental prospects from previous regimes have not been that good. Isaac Asiata, to be totally honest, I'm pretty surprised that he's even still here. And so those guys can be overtaken by the new crop of UDFAs that were just brought in. Let's see how quick they can develop. Number three, Miami's offensive line draft picks. Michael Dieter has been penciled into a starting position by every single Dolphins fan, journalist, or anybody that cares about this team across the planet put Dieter at left guard as the starter and that should be the the expectation and he does have the solid fundamentals and technical refinement but I want to see that hit and stick early and have him earn that job right away not just get put there because he's the most qualified player before he steps on the field and then three rounds later the Dolphins came back and took tackle Isaiah Prince out of Ohio State He's a developmental prospect. We all know that. And he has the traits and the build that coaches will love. But his college tape suggests he has a long way to go. He needs to get some wins over the Dwayne Hendrixes and the Jonathan Ledbetters of the world. Other UDFAs that were not drafted behind Prince in the sixth round. Number four, the reintroduction of the fullback in Miami. And I have a feeling by the time this year begins, Chandler Cox is going to be a full-blown cult hero in Miami. And the Dolphins are finally going to get some more personnel packages that put a full back onto the field, get two running backs onto the field, and people are thinking about Lusaka Polite with all the nostalgia, and he, Chandler Cox that is, joins fellow 7th round draft pick Miles Gaskin to give this rookie camp a lot of 21 personnel package looks and a lot of juice out of that package as well. Number five, the speed at linebacker. I think that Andrew Van Ginkle has every opportunity to carve out a sub-package role on the 2019 defense, which is a big step forward for a fifth-round rookie, but he was kind of held back by injuries last year. If he can be healthy and return to his 2017 performance at Wisconsin, then he could be a guy that takes out snaps from Kiko Alonso. And then there's Miami native Terrell Hanks, 
who has the big punch. He can lay the wood, but he can scoot as well. He can flat out fly when he's not battling this ankle injury that he's dealing with the entire post and pre-draft process, I should say. But he returns home with what he describes as a mountain on his shoulder, not just a chip but a mountain on his shoulder. Number six, can Preston Williams emerge as a challenger to Devontae Parker and Bryce Butler because the Dolphins' frontline receivers are kind of of the same build. They're burners. Kenny Stills, Albert Wilson, Jakeem Grant are all fast guys, and while I think Albert Wilson isn't exactly like the other two, they can all run is the idea. And Devontae Parker, who's here on a one-year cheap prove-it deal, while Bryce Butler makes a fraction of that, are both the options at the X position. Well, Preston Williams has the similar traits and similar build, and he has that former five-star high school recruit pedigree in his back pocket. If he can overcome the off-the-field obstacles and play well this weekend and take it into OTAs, maybe he has a chance to stick long-term. And number seven, Josh Boyer's undrafted free agent cornerback conquest. This guy has turned two players into studs that were UDFAs as early as their rookie years in New England, starting off with Malcolm Butler, who kind of deteriorated the rest of his career in New England, and J.C. Jackson last year. Those guys both can play some ball, and he has three more guys at his disposal, UDFAs, Nick Needham from UTEP, Boise State's Tyler Horton, and Montre Hardage from Northwestern. So it's not quite the return of football, but at least we've got a little bit of something here to chew on. Again, we'll have you guys cover on all these things on tomorrow's podcast. On Sunday, we'll wrap it up and talk about which of these things might have happened, which of them didn't happen, and maybe start previewing OTAs at the end of May. But at least there is football to talk about, and that in its own right is exciting for all football fans everywhere. And we're going to come back on the other side of the podcast here and talk about some AFC East odds, as well as the other teams in the division, the hated three, the Bills, the Jets, the Patriots. We'll do that next on the Locked On Dolphins podcast at Wingfield NFL at Locked On Fins. After I finish this segment, I'm getting in the car and driving about an hour due east back to my hometown of the Tri-Cities where the TC Tropics will defend our, well, we didn't win the championship last year, but we got to to the finals for the third straight year and we've lost all three years in the championship round to softball teams that are sandbaggers that bring on new guys to their team come the championship game and they wind up beating us down but we run the table through the season and then we run into these sandbaggers in the championship round and lose but tonight embarks our fourth consecutive run to the championship and hopefully we can get that w done and we'll talk about the result on tomorrow's podcast because i know you guys care so much about my slow pitch softball league but let's go ahead and turn gears here back to something you might care about or maybe you don't i don't know the afc east because they released the odds on Bovada on who had the best chance to win the division and everyone else's odds below the Patriots as well. And we start with Miami, 25 to 1 odds to win the AFC East. I think that's a good bet. And the reason I think it's a good bet is because we can't trust anything the Jets or Bills have done. Pretty much the all three of these teams have been through this cycle where they compete to see who can win seven or eight games and get that so awesome distinction of second place in the AFC East. And while the Jets and Bills both had active off seasons and both fan bases will certainly tell you they feel better about their teams. And one of those two teams I think did great. The other team, not as much. Both of those teams, as much as they want to get excited, 
Do you trust him? Can you trust the Bills, Jets, or Dolphins to actually win double-digit games? I don't. And so that's why I think 25-1 to 1, just on that alone is a good bet. But then you're going to need some help taking down the Patriots. It probably would have to come with a Tom Brady collapse, maybe even an injury. But he is 41. What is he, 42 now? So if that happens, it's a free-for-all, and you've got a 25-1 to 1 ticket in your hand. If Brady's out, then maybe you win that bet. So I think it's actually not a bad bet. I wouldn't bet your mortgage on it, but maybe throw 20 bucks on it and see what happens. Up next is the Jets. They are 5-1. to 1. Holy crap, is that an overrated number for the New York Jets when they have an infighting situation going on between their own coaches, their coaches and their GM? Does anybody actually think Adam Gase is going to get the most out of all those new bodies in New York? They might have some flashes where it all looks good, but you know, over the course of a 16-game season, play calling, misutilization of personnel, failure to adjust to your own weaknesses. Those are going to be things that define Adam Gaze in New York, just as it was here in Miami. So five to one, get the hell out of here with that. And the Buffalo Bills, in my opinion, have a gap between them and the Dolphins and Jets. To me, the Dolphins and Jets are kind of in the same class, even though everybody's stoked on Sam Darnold and he did show some growth at the end of the year. But I think the Bills are a solid notch ahead because they're probably one of the better coach teams in this division easily and maybe even in the conference. I think they had the best offseason in the entire NFL. I love that they got John Brown and Cole Beasley for Josh Allen. They can play defense and they are very well coached on that side of the ball. And they did have the best draft of anybody, in my opinion, as well. So it's going to come down to whether or not they can get Josh Allen to progress and move forward and develop some chemistry with those pass catchers because they're better, but they're still not great. But you have to give them credit for Ed Oliver and Cody Ford with the first two picks. That was a home run, and they did well in free agency as well to shore up that offensive line and go get Josh Allen some help at wide receiver. And the Patriots, the freaking Patriots are two to seven. That means if you bet $7 on the Patriots to win the division, you win two back. So enjoy those bets if you want to do it. I guess it's pretty much a guarantee unless someone gets hurt. But it's the clockwork of the New England Patriots. Even without Rob Gronkowski, they'll just reinvent themselves and probably use the tight end far less in formation. The draft to me was a home run because it always is. And it's not that they particularly draft well for value or filling out needs or whatever you want to call it, but the number of picks they have every year allows them to take a lot of players, obviously, and they find roles for those guys to contribute early on and replace them down the road. And that clockwork machine that just replaces guys they lose with forethought in their minds every single year, like going after Michael Bennett to replace Trey Flowers for far less compensation, and they're going to get a third-round comp pick for Trey Flowers, or the exact same situation with Jared Veld here and allowing Trent Brown to walk, and they're going to go ahead and scoop up a third-round pick in the process for that. It's absolute clockwork for these guys. If you think Belichick's ever going to slump, then you're probably going to be waiting for a lot longer of a time because he doesn't do it. What about some other betting props that I might fancy? Some individual or team props? Go back to the Dolphins here. Four and a half wins on the season? I think that's probably a safe bet, and I did cash a big one last year on the five-win total, which was outrageous coming into the season. Starting off 3-0 made that feel really good, but I think that four and a half wins, just for the reasons I've mentioned earlier, the coaching improvement and the lack of talent disparity in the NFL, a lot of these games come down to coaching decisions and overall preparedness, and as well as conditioning, and in Miami, 
that stuff can get really out of whack. So four and a half wins is not that much to ask, even if you are a bad team. Every year there's a team that's supposed to lose 14, 15, 16 games. Last year it was the Bills, and they almost always wind up winning four or five. So Dolphins to win five games could easily see that. The Cardinals are in the same boat. Hell, I like Arizona at 200 to one for the Super Bowl, but I'm sure you guys knew that because I love Kyler Murray. But what if he is as good as we think he is? Then they could be a contender this year. Who knows? Frankly, I like betting on college football the best. The talent gap there is much different than the NFL. That helps. There's less luck because of that talent gap. But you do have to deal with the fact that the kicking game is shoddy at best. And these 18-year-old kids are more prone to make poor decisions. But I do find it easier. The tough part of betting college football is avoiding the allure of the big primetime game. Because, of course... You want action on Bama LSU. You want to watch that game, so why wouldn't you? But those are the tough ones to bet, even though your boy cleaned up last year on Bama minus 18 at LSU. But those games are tough. It's the lower level games that you want, the group of five games. Vegas handicappers do not have enough time to go through all those lower level games. So if you can show the discipline and stay in those games, you should do okay as long as you have some knowledge of that level of football. But if you had to put a gun to my head for a Super Bowl team right now, because I guess we're doing that, there's a whole flock of teams that I like, particularly in the NFC. I think the Falcons and Vikings are going to have bounce back years. I think the Eagles will be there. The Saints, obviously, as well. I like Kansas City and Los Angeles in the AFC, as well as the Colts and, of course, the Patriots. So if I'm going to make a prediction on May 9th for a Super Bowl team, I'll go with give me the Chargers. I really want Rivers to win one before he goes out. I think he's a Hall of Fame level quarterback. Even though he's kind of a giant baby, that team is just loaded with talent and they have a lot of my favorite players, especially Derwin James. But as for this podcast, that is going to be my time. Hey, if you have a smart speaker, tell your smart speaker to play Locked On Dolphins podcast and pull up your daily dose right away. Also, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on the Himalaya podcast app. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all your local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at NFL. Follow the show at Locked On Fins. Keep up to date on the Daily Dolphins blog over at LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a great rest of your night. We'll talk to you again tomorrow for a Friday mailbag edition, a mini camp review edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football. Fins up.